This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 205. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Well, 2023 is less than two weeks old, but the chaos is already hot and heavy. The stupid is spreading like crazy weather all across America, and now is definitely still a time to stay vigilant. Well, let me get rid of the easy one first. People know I take classified uh, documents and classified information seriously. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. When my lawyers were clearing out my office at the University of Pennsylvania, they set up an office for me, secure office in the Capitol, when I, the four years after being vice president, I was a professor at Penn. Uh, they found some documents in a box, in a locked cabinet, or at least a closet. And as soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box. And they did what they should have done. They immediately called the archives, immediately called the archives, turned them over to the archives. And I was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. But I don't know what's in the documents. I've, my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon, and uh, there'll be more detail at that time. The first question now, I forgot. Uh. Yeah, that's kind of 2023 already in a nutshell. Every day, there's a new, crazy, and surprising thing. And by the end of talking about it, we all kind of forgot where the hell we are and what we were talking about when it started. There is so much insane news, it's overwhelming. I do this for a living, and I find it hard to keep up with. Floods are rampaging all across California. Dozens have been killed, and millions have been evacuated. And this is right after the entire country was in a devastating deep freeze around Christmas, which was followed here in New York and in other places by 60-degree highs in January the week later. This week, all departing U.S. flights were paused because the Federal Aviation Administration's computers crashed. That was nice. Ugh. Another reason to use the hashtag, our infrastructure sucks. Did you see? There was an insurrection in Brazil. Yes, they had their own January 6th this week. That was interesting. And back in Congress, McCarthy was finally elected Speaker of the House after days of madness and a near fistfight on the floor. And lots of folks in Washington and in the media and online seem to think all that chaos in Washington was fun. 
Our country's government was paralyzed, and every backbencher and hack in Congress was playing for the cameras and loving the attention, which seems to also be what's going to happen throughout 2023. How do they think this crap looks to our troops serving in harm's way right now around the world and in combat zones? Or how does it look to our enemies? Every day that our Congress is jammed up is a good day for Putin and any others who wish America harm. That's why I continue to use the hashtag, our enemies are celebrating. And then this week, as you heard in that clip, we now find out that intelligence materials relating to Ukraine, Iran, and the UK were found in Biden's private office. And now Biden aides have found a second batch of classified documents at a new location. Now, now, the White House is saying it's a small number of classified documents. And you heard Biden's attempt at an explanation there. But this is more chaos. And in my view, an unforced error from Biden and the Democrats, which is also probably going to be the new normal in 2023. This week, Biden also finally went to the Mexican border to deal with the migrant crisis. Good. That's long overdue. He hadn't been there yet. So it was about time he went down there and at least addressed the issue that half the country is very concerned about, at least. But also, now maybe he can finally make some time to meet with our Afghan allies, because he's never done that either. Not once in the months of the Afghan Adjustment Act firewatch, the months where Afghan allies and American veterans were camped outside the Capitol in Washington, not once did he meet with them. And not once since the debacle of a withdrawal from Afghanistan did he meet with any Afghan allies or any veterans who were focused on that issue. And his lack of support is why the Afghan Adjustment Act failed last year. Republicans continued to be infuriating. Democrats continue to be convoluted and disconnected. And right now, their newest obsession is George Santos. Yes, George Santos lied. He's a fraud. He shouldn't be in Congress. He should probably be in jail. But is he really the number one focus for the Democratic Party right now? 2023 is full of distraction and discombobulation and just chaos. The chaos is real and the news is overwhelming, even for me. It's a new year, but it's the same old chaos. But it seems to be even worse than we're used to. But nowhere is it worse than in Ukraine. In Ukraine, it's a new year but the same war. And in the midst of all this madness, Ukraine is the most important madness. And we're going to dig into it. I think Ukraine is the most important story of our time, and it will be until it's not, until there's victory. And so we're going to use our unique perspective on national security, veterans issues, foreign affairs, and my network of people to try to bring you inside the fight in Ukraine as we did last year. So we're bringing back a returning champion, one of my favorite guests from last year, Nolan Peterson. Nolan Peterson spent the last eight years of his life living in Ukraine. And he spent the entire war on the front lines, reporting and helping us stay connected and helping us stay vigilant. He joined us back in May of last year, and he's back again. He's an American Special Forces veteran, a combat journalist, and the husband of a Ukrainian. He's telling the story of this war from inside of it. He's a former Air Force Special Operations pilot, a veteran of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he's the senior editor of Coffee or Die magazine. He's an acclaimed war correspondent and a globe-trotting travel writer whose adventures have taken him all across the globe. And I'm humbled that he was able to talk to us and make some time from inside the war zone to give us the real deal, the ground truth, on the most important story in the world. So in the midst of all the chaos and the bullshit, I'm going to try to continue to bring you light and insight to contrast the heat and the chaos. I'm also going to try to bring you episodes with less production, that are harder hitting and just faster and tighter and try to get it all to you in under an hour. But with the same Righteous Media Five Eyes you've known to love and trust. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. Welcome to a new year. Welcome to the same war. 
Welcome to another Ukraine War Report. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 205. Especially inside Ukraine. Happy New Year. Uh, the year is picking off hot and heavy right where it left off. And this show is going to continue to keep our focus on the most important story of our time, the war in Ukraine. And returning to kick off a new year of conversations is one of my favorite conversations from last year. One of the most important guests we had on from last year, an inspiring, dynamic, uh, insightful guy, the great and powerful Nolan Peterson is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you for having me back. Glad to be here. So I guess I can't, you know, you're in Ukraine, uh, so I can't say Happy New Year. Uh, I guess I want to wish you a victorious New Year. What, what's what's the uh, what's the New Year wish in Ukraine right now? What, what do you wish to other people inside Ukraine right now? Well, I'd, I'd say without a doubt, the New Year's wish here is is for victory, not just for the war end, war to end, but for Ukraine to be victorious and to get back all of its land that it lost uh, after the February 24th full-scale invasion, but most importantly, to liberate uh, the Ukrainians who are living under what is a very brutal Russian occupation in the southern and eastern parts of the country that Russia has taken over. You know, the New Year holiday, it really... I think it was quite symbolic in a way, you know, on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, uh, Russia launched waves of missile and drone strikes against Ukraine, uh, primarily here in Kiev. And it was just it was just absolutely surreal for me uh, to, you know, just minutes after midnight to hear the explosions of air defenses going off and to run to the bomb shelter where I met a group of young people who, you know, transferred their party from an apartment downstairs and it's just, uh, you know, it's just a, a surreal way to live. War has just kind of permeated every level of life here in Ukraine. And I think that people are committed to victory. They believe in their cause. They know it's just. But I think there is also sort of a, you know, I just a, a somber, sober appreciation for the fact that this war isn't going to end anytime soon. And that uh, 2023 will likely be another very hard and, um, you know, very trying year for the Ukrainian people. Mm. No, and your reporting has been indispensable. I've been trying to give lift to it as much as I could since you joined us last time in May. It's been a while, and I hope this year yeah. we can talk more regularly. Um, but you had a post where you said, New Year, same war. Uh, yeah. and, and I want to go deeper into that. I want to get your thoughts on Zelensky's visit. I want to talk about some of the military dynamics, because your vantage point is unique, not just because you're there, but also because you're an American combat veteran with that experience. But let me ground us in the question that I ask of everyone. Where are you as much as you can tell us exactly? And how are you, man? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I am in my apartment here in Kiev, the capital city of Ukraine. And as you can see, we have power tonight. We have internet. The heating is on. Um, so despite Russia's a uh, determined attack against Ukraine's power grid. We're still we're still operating over here as usual. Uh, I'm doing okay. It's been a hell of a year. You know, I think you mentioned I'm a, a veteran of the U.S. Air Force. I was a pilot in special operations, served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then I embarked on a career as a war correspondent after I left the military. But this year, I mean, it's just been, for me personally, a completely sort of alien experience uh, to go through a war not as a combatant or simply a witness like I was as a journalist, but to be somebody whose family is caught up in the war, to sit in my apartment and listen to artillery, to sit at home where I am with my wife and to hear gunfire outdoors and to hear Russian missiles, cruise missiles landing in our neighborhood just blocks away to fear for my wife's life. I mean, just it adds a whole nother layer 
uh, to my understanding and appreciation of war that I, re I rarely felt serving in the U.S. military because our wars, you know, obviously we're halfway around the world. So I think that, you know, this year I really have learned to appreciate and have a lot of empathy uh, for the civilians whose lives are upheaved by this war or or any other. Nolan, I want to I want to go deep into that because you've been writing about it and doing video about it. But um, I want to start with kind of a top line here. You know, you track on the U.S. media, you're active on Twitter to start this off. What do you think the American public in specifically is missing? What, what, when you're over there walking around and you're reporting and you could scream from the mountaintops and you want everyone to understand this is what you're missing. What it, maybe it's one thing, maybe it's multiple things, but Nolan, what do you think the American public is missing about what's happening in Ukraine now? I don't think many Americans understand how much our country has inspired the, the dream that Ukrainians hold on to the dream that drives them to fight so hard for their democracy. We, serve as this 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 example for them that they have seen our country through primarily the young generation through you know media through social media uh through the news and they've grown up with this this vision of what they want in their lives and it is largely uh the vision of what we sort of have grown to take for granted in the united states so we really have just by our values inspired the Ukrainian people to fight for democracy, to fight for their freedom. And in 2014, nearly nine years ago now, Ukrainians, mainly driven by the, the passions of the young people, took to central Kiev and overthrew a pro-Russian regime because they wanted to live in a democracy. They wanted to make their country less corrupt. They wanted to adopt Western values and they wanted to be entrepreneurs. And for the last nine years now, Russia has tried to kill those dreams but Ukrainians are still fighting for it. So it's not only, you know, American weapons, which are fueling Ukraine's ability to defend itself, but it's also our example uh, of a democracy that, that is fueling their desire to not give up and to keep fighting so that they can achieve what we already have. We've, we've talked to so many people in the last year on this show that have had different perspectives. Adrian, and Irina Brunbauer, you know, had a family component. Yeah. We had Matt Gallagher on, and I know he's recently gone again and is working on some more stuff about that. But can you can you break apart from where you sit? Um, I want to talk about Zelensky and get your thoughts on that. But the actual military component, because it's it's evolved, right? Like first it was they the javelins were like you know on the wish list, right? And the javelins hit the battlefield and changed the battlefield. Um, then it was HIMARS, right? And HIMARS hit the battlefield and things have changed. Now Patriots, Patriot missile batteries are in route. And it feels like next on the list is tanks and, and fighter planes. I'm, all of which if it were up to me, I would have sent in the beginning. But there's this right. kind of demented game of mother may I going on between Zelensky and the American Congress. Um, can you talk about the impact you've seen, given your special operations experience, of these American weapon systems on the battlefield, and what you think needs to come next. You know, there's a debate about you know uh, aircraft in particular, about tanks in particular. I mean, how do you assess the, the impact of those phases, and and what do you think needs to come next? Well, I think to begin with, I I totally disagree <laughs> with our sort of our current sort of, I don't know if you want to call it our strategy or whatever, but the the procedure of slowly rolling out additional weapon systems over time. If we had given Ukraine what they had asked for originally, uh, the war they might be they might be a lot closer to winning the war right now than they currently are. Mm -hmm. So I think if we're going to be if if you know as President Biden said, we're going to stand by Ukraine to the end of this thing, why not just give them what they need now? Because I think in many wars, sort of the the ultimate sin is to allow the war to drag on for an unnecessarily unnecessary amount of time. And so the more we can give Ukraine now, the more they're able to sort of continue their advantage, continue their momentum, which they began to achieve in the summer with their counteroffensives in Kharkiv and Kherson. They can continue that momentum and potentially push Russia back to the February 24th borders or perceivably even the 1991 borders when Ukraine became an independent state from the Soviet Union, uh, they can do that before Russia is able to fully leverage the power 
of the mobilization program currently underway. Russia has already mobilized 300,000 troops. A lot of talk here in Ukraine that Russia is about to mobilize another 500,000 troops. So time is not on Ukraine's side. They need to achieve victory as fast as possible before Russia can just start pumping more soldiers at the fight. And I think we look at the fighting in Solodar and Bakhmut right now, where Russia you know, has these basically human wave attacks, which are just throwing bodies at the Ukrainians. Uh, I think that is a bellwether for the way the war is going to go in 2023. So we need to give Ukraine as much as we possibly can as fast as possible so they can end this thing quickly. Um, obviously, at the beginning of the war, the Javelins had a huge impact. Um, Ukraine was fighting smart, very mobile, these little tank hunter units. But also artillery had a very important role to play in the beginning. I think that's been a, bit, a little bit downplayed because we all glamored by the effect that javelins had and that was not insignificant but also here in kiev i mean it was it was primarily an artillery battle and the ukrainians hammered the invading russians the ukrainians were able to kind of stall the russian advance i think with the javelins but then artillery really took over so yes high mars made a huge impact allowed ukrainians uh to in the battle for for Kherson to kind of just very methodically destroy the, the Russians' supply depots and their routes of egress out of the, the right bank uh, side of Kherson. Um, so yes, as we look forward now to 2023, where this war unfortunately could devolve into, into more and more of this grinding war of attrition, potentially marked by another massive Russian offensive once they get those hundreds of thousands of conscripts ready for combat, Ukraine's going to need some hardware. And so I think that we look forward, you know, armored fighting vehicles, tanks, things like that will certainly be essential to the Ukrainians. Ammunition, artillery, shells are going to be extraordinarily important so they can maintain the rate of fire on the battlefield and also air defenses. Um, you know, Russia has embarked on this strategic air campaign of missile and drone strikes to, to destroy Ukraine's power grid, to terrorize civilians. And to date, Ukraine's air defenses have done an extraordinary job. And absolutely, like, nope, I don't think anybody would have expected February 24th that Ukraine would be shooting down, you know, almost 100% success rate at this point with the Shahids, the Iranian exploding drones that Russia is using, but a very high rate of success against cruise missiles, too. So in order to maintain that, that rate of success and keep the lights on, uh, Ukraine's going to need more and more air defense support as well. Nolan, are people pissed about this? Are you pissed about this? I mean... You know, I'm pissed about it, right? Like the idea that Zelensky is in the war for freedom and he has to come hat in hand and beg and plead for one off, two off, give me this, give me that. I mean, it's this double-edged sword where Ukrainians are grateful and they're celebrating American involvement, but they're being treated like children, right? It's got a patronizing feel to it that doesn't sit right with me. And if I were in Congress or I were in the White House, I would definitely handle it differently. But there's got to be frustration because you're like deep in a knife fight over there and people back home are, are playing games saying, oh, maybe we'll send you Bradley's like and I think it also cuts to the core of, of, of lack of understanding of how deep and broad and brutal this kind of combat is um, and and just what combat is. Right. You got a lot of people in Congress who haven't served. They don't know the difference between an Abrams tank and a Bradley. But but does it piss people off? I feel I feel like they're biting their tongue a little bit because, you know, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds, which is a demented um, dynamic that's been created. But but how do people feel and how do you feel? Well, I think, you know, what I've I can't speak for the Ukrainian nation, but from the people yeah. I know, the soldiers and civilians uh, you know, with whom I communicate with my family, you know, my father-in-law is a former Soviet soldier and my uncle-in-law Soviet soldier who served in Afghanistan. I say like, you know, without a doubt, Ukrainians are extraordinarily grateful for the support that our country has given, uh, both economically, military, you know, across the board. There, it's a little bittersweet sometimes, I have to admit, when we provide or we say like, OK, now we're going to provide patriots. And now there's a month, many months of training ahead before the patriots can be put into use. Now, why didn't we do that? On day one, yeah. Then now, now patriots be defending Kiev and Kharkiv and other major cities in Ukraine, and many more civilian lives would be spared if we had done these things on day one. I remember when the war started, Ukraine immediately started asking for Western fighter jets, and the main argument against it was, "Oh, it'll take six months or a year to train them." Well, here we are, almost a year later. Ukraine could conceivably be fielding F-16s at this point if we had made the decision earlier. 
And so to me, it just doesn't jive, to be honest, when we say, on the one hand, we're going to be with Ukraine until victory. We're not going to back down. We've got, you know, sort of unbreakable support for Ukraine. But then we slow roll all these things. It's like, why are we slow rolling? Why are like, let's just end the war as fast as possible. And I think that by slowly ratcheting up on our support, uh, we actually give Russia the latitude to counter escalate, to escalate in time with us. But if we just provided Ukraine the amount of hardware they need to prosecute a, a very fast victory and to continue these counter offensives, you know, Russia wouldn't be able to get his shit together and yeah. and escalate in, in, in turn. So I think that what we're seeing now as Russia mobilized hundreds of thousands of troops, probably has plans to do more to execute an additional mobilization. Russia, they're, you know, they're going out buying artillery shells from North Korea, buying exploding drones from Iran. Russia has the time now mm-hmm. to get its act together and to carry on this like brutal war of attrition. But they have that time because we never gave Ukraine what they needed initially to right. win this thing faster. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like um, it's it's kind of like, you know, walking out early on a game and then seeing somebody blow the lead. Like like th- this is this is so far from over, um, but it yeah. can be so much closer to over if if we open the floodgates. Right. I feel like, you know, we're standing in front of the gun closet that is the Pentagon saying, OK, you can have one of these, but not one of these yet. You can see it back there, but you can't have one yet. And I think I think there's been an underestimated component of this, which is. Ukraine has become for the American military, the national training center on steroids, all our tactics, all our weapons, all our technology is being tested in the best possible way possible to benefit our own national defense. And I think someone, you know, I've been reading the statistics, maybe 5% of our defense budget is being allocated to Ukraine. We've taken out 50% of military capacity in Russia. So if you would have said a couple of years ago, hey, we can take out 50% of our one of our top two or three enemies for 5%, that seems like a pretty good return on investment. So as a, as a military veteran, when you see it, and, and maybe I'll pivot into another part of this, you see folks on the right, you see Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I don't even want to invoke their name, except I know they're being seen by Ukrainians as well. And people must be saying like, what the fuck is up with these people? You see these people, you know, calling uh, Zelensky, uh, you know, a criminal saying that they're they're just in it for the money. Can you talk about that piece of this? Because I think it has more to do with like American insecurity and our problems with Iraq and Afghanistan and maybe even Vietnam than it has to do with the realities of what Ukraine is facing. So I know that's a couple things packed into one, but I feel like you're in a unique position to unpack a lot of that. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, you know, I, after the war began, my Twitter following went from about 30,000 to now 550,000. Right. And because of that, every time I see these idiotic comments from certain personalities, media personalities and political, uh, you know, lawmakers, in the United States, I get this itch to just vent, but I, I, I rarely do. I think it's always better to just make declarative statements about the truth rather to get involved in these back and forths. Mm. But to your point, um, you know, I think as Americans, we're spending a lot of money in Ukraine. I think it's totally acceptable and right to have honest conversations about the utility of this aid. You know, how is it in America's interest? I, I get that. Like, I, I live here in Ukraine. I'm emotionally invested. My family's here. For me, it's 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 a moral duty. But to many Americans, it's a very abstract concept, very abstract conflict, potentially. And so I think, you know, I think President Biden probably could do a better job to explain why this war is in America's national interest, the moral duty we have to support Ukrainians. What I don't understand, though, is, okay. if you want to question the utility of the aid to Ukraine, that's fine. If you're a lawmaker, that's your responsibility to spend America's tax dollars wisely. But why do you have to denigrate Ukraine? Why do you have to insult Ukraine's wartime leader? You know, why do you have to claim that Ukraine isn't a democracy or to or to regurgitate some Kremlin propaganda about biolabs, which has no validity whatsoever, or to say that Ukraine's 2014 revolution was a CIA-backed coup, which is just profoundly untrue. It was a grassroots revolution prosecuted by Ukraine's civilian population that caught our country by surprise. Ukrainians chose this path for themselves, and Russia unilaterally decided that no. We're going to we're going to basically insurf Ukraine <laughs> as we have for, you know, 
hundreds of years. And Russia decided that Ukraine doesn't have the the agency to chart its own its own future. And I just don't think like in today's world, that sets a very dangerous precedent. And I think, you know, as we look toward China and Taiwan, you know, we can't allow a country like Russia to just, you know, to decide that it doesn't like the way the course of its neighbor's future and to just invade and not just invade, by the way, but Russia's army is, you know, raping and murdering its way across Ukraine. This is not just some sterile, you know, limited warfare. This is a brutal war of just the carnage is, is almost incomprehensible. Yep. And I, you know, I think maybe since the last time we've talked, I was in Bucha and Irpin after the Russian pullback from the outskirts of Kiev and to see all the dead bodies on the streets and to see Russia's crimes, to look in the eyes of women who have been raped by Russian soldiers, you know, and then you turn around and you see American lawmakers entertaining the notion that maybe this is a propaganda stunt or something like that. It's just, it, it, yeah, it's, it's sick. almost no words it's, to describe it's, it's it. Sick, yeah, right. Yeah, and it, but it's also like the unfortunate part of our political normal back in in America, and I think that's why your voice and others are so critical that are on the ground to kind of pierce through the bullshit because I do think the country and the world sees the truth, and and you and others have been heroic in 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 sharing that truth. No one more than than the Ukrainian people. But let me ask you, Nolan, another piece of this because you've got you know you're there, you've got your ear to the ground. Um, what is it like to be where you are right now, right? Like you, you, you talked before we hit record on this, you said, hey, we might get interrupted by an air raid. You're a, a brilliant writer and you're able to describe with tremendous uh, color what it's like. So can you talk through a little bit more about like what it's like, um, where you are and what you've seen? And also this is a tough one, but if I were Ukrainian, I would want to bulldoze Moscow, <laughs> right? I would, I'd, I'd yeah. want to hang Putin from a bridge. I'd want to bulldoze Moscow. I would not want to stop. And, and I'm kind of vexed by this. Um, I, I don't know what the right word is. Um, it, patronizing, like elitist, uppity. I don't know what word we use. Uh, idea that, that 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 Ukraine should just be satisfied with some kind of marginal pullout and just hope that Putin, you know, drops dead in the bathroom. Like we we spent 20 years hunting down bin Laden. Right. I mean, and and this is on a scale like we've never seen. So can can you talk to that a little bit? Because I feel like if I were in Ukraine, I'd want to go all the way and I'd want to hunt him down and get him and get everybody else. And that seems like justice. And and maybe it's that the Ukrainians are so strategic and, and smart that they're saying, all right, let's get the victory first and then we'll get to justice after that. Um, but but maybe you can unpack those two things. What is it like there? And 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 really, what do Ukrainians want to see? You know, after this phase. Yeah, well, I'll take the second part of that first. Um, you know, I I first came to Ukraine in 2014, and right after the Revolution of Dignity in 2014, that's when Russia invaded Crimea, and then invaded Eastern Ukraine. And a lot of people like to call it a civil war in Eastern Ukraine after 2014 or whatever. No, Russian regular army units were in Eastern Ukraine. It was an invasion. Um, but, you know, for the last, until February 24th, 2022, Ukraine was fighting for its freedom. Now Ukraine is fighting for its survival. And I think that's one thing that, you know, if you ask what Americans might be missing, it might why some Americans might say, oh, why doesn't Ukraine just sign a peace deal with Russia? Like they lost some land, whatever, you know, move on, end the war, save lives. Well, the fact is there's a lot of Ukrainians living behind that front line of Russia's invasion. And after we've seen the murder, the genocide, the raping, the plunder, Ukrainians are totally unwilling to just condemn, you know, maybe millions of their fellow citizens to living under this brutal op op occupation. They don't want to do that. For them, it's a moral duty to liberate their fellow citizens. So I think for many Ukrainians, you know, this is a war for their survival. And they see the Russian threat as a threat that has existed for generations in this country. And they perceive this war as an opportunity to once and for all gain their freedom, push Russia back and chart their course with a westward trajectory to become part of the West, become part of Europe and to put their Russian past behind them once and for all. They see this as their moment to establish themselves as a sovereign country, a democracy free from Russian overlordship. So this, to the Ukrainians, 
is an existential fight that will determine their country's future. And that's why they're not willing to just throw up their hands and quit and sign a peace deal because they want to survive. They want their country to survive and they want to stop this wholesale slaughter of their people. You look at images of what's going on in Bakhmut, Mariupol, what happened here on the outskirts of Kiev. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I, you know, it's hard to to find the right words to describe it, but it is, there's no really no other parallel besides what, you know, the Nazis did in World War II. It's just a wholesale slaughter of the Ukrainian people. And I think that fuels, I think it fuels the Ukrainian people's rage, but also the determination to not take the easy way out, but the, to see this war through to its conclusion, the conclusion which will guarantee that their children, their grandchildren won't have to fight this war again, that this will be the end of it. I think that's what drives Ukrainians. As far as life here, you know, like what I alluded to, what I kind of mentioned uh, when we began, you know, I had previously my experience in, in war zones, you know, as, as a special operations pilot in Iraq and Afghanistan, you get used to the, you know, indirect fire alerts. You get used to the dangers. Um, as a as a war correspondent, you know, I've reported from Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, and here in Ukraine. And you know, you get used to the danger to yourself, and that's something that, with experience and and good training, you learn to deal with. But there's really no way to ever prepare uh, for being in a war zone to to be facing lethal dangers uh, with your wife beside you. Mm-hmm. And my wife, I luckily, I, I kind of perceived that this full-scale war was going to happen. So I originally had her leave Ukraine on February 1st prior to the full-scale invasion. But then she she came back to Kiev this summer. And then on the morning of October 10th, when Russia bombarded Kiev with, uh, with cruise missiles, one of which landed just a few blocks away from where I am right now. And we were sleeping in the morning and the walls shook, the windows rattled, our cat running her under our bed and car alarms are going off outside. And we both woke up and like, what the hell was that? And then another explosion and then another. And I just grabbed my wife's arm, ran outside, ran to the bomb shelter while explosions were thundering outside, not knowing if one was going to hit near us. And I just, the level of fear and terror and anxiety when you're in a war zone with your family is something that I think many American veterans probably have not experienced. And it it really adds just a whole nother level of of fear uh, that I, that I've, I had never experienced when my own life was on the line. But it's truly extraordinary. You go through this moment, right? This moment of just not knowing if you're going to die at any moment <laughs> uh, while the drones are exploding overhead or missiles or whatever. And then the all clear alert will sound and, you know, people inside the bomb shelter and those people inside the bomb shelter, are kids who are supposed to be at school, old people, you know, young couples, you name it, all spectrums of society are down there. And when the all clear sounds, they walk upstairs, the kids go to school, parents go back to work, life goes on. I, I'll go to the gym. You know, we'll go, sh- we'll go grocery shopping, not knowing you know, like at, at any moment the air raid alert can sound again and there could be Russian missiles on their way. And it's just, it's just this crazy way of life that, you know, you, we often say to each other, carpe diem, and it adds, you know, that, that saying, the Latin saying, seize the day. It has a new resonance now because in these moments between the attacks, you rush to go see the dentist, to get your shopping done, yeah. to to go to the gym, you can rush to get all these things done because you don't know when the next attack is going to happen. And so it's just, you know, it, it's, it's just a surreal level, to, a way, a surreal way to live. Mm-hmm. The only analogy I can think of are stories of London during the Blitz in the 1940s. But there is this incredible uh, strength among the Ukrainian people to carry on. And I have to say that despite the fear, despite the terror of these attacks, that you know, Russia's attacks against these civilian infrastructure sites and against urban, uh, you know, the cities uh, with these missile and drone strikes, it has definitely hardened, uh, reinforced Ukrainians, the civilian population's desire to resist. Mm-hmm. It's actually a recent poll uh, where you know the the number of Ukrainians, the percentage of Ukrainians who are willing to make territorial concessions for peace with Russia. Um, 
82% were against territorial uh, concessions in May. 85% are against it now. So in the intervening you know, half of year during these missile and drone strikes, Ukrainians are now less willing make territorial concessions for peace yeah. with Russia. So it's had the opposite effect that I think Russia wanted. Well, and their 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 heroism is calcifying and the unity is calcifying and you know Americans have this um th- this strange elitism where where they think that you know what's what's okay for for us is is not okay for others or vice versa like we wouldn't be okay with just giving up Maine or Florida or California. Um, and enduring this kind of barrage on a regular basis. So we can't assume that the Ukrainians would be either. I want to ask you, Nolan, and, and you've generously agreed to stick around for our Patreon members. You're going to get a little bit of extra content special with Nolan coming up after this. You can flip over to Patreon. Thank you to all our Patreon members for supporting this work. Nolan, I want to ask you to talk about Zelensky um, because, you know, he came here right before Christmas and uh, it was it, one of the most moving, important things I've ever seen. I think his uh, leadership has been, um, I, I almost don't have the words, but it, it's spectacular and, and, and so artful and so compelling. Um, but can you talk about what that looked like over there? Was it just another day for Zelensky going to another world leader? You know, we had this vision of Pelosi with the Ukrainian flag, um, him meeting with Biden, you know, walking in, in in fatigues, basically. And, you know, some folks in the in the media were criticizing him, saying, you know, he should have worn a suit. And I thought it was actually a brilliant political move because he looked like you look right now. He looked like guys and gals that I served with in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, but on a much, a much bigger stage. Can you talk about what that whole thing meant, uh, you know, in the historical context, but also for people in those bomb shelters? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, first of all, to, to touch on Ukraine, uh, on Zelensky's attire, yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody, I, I mean, I interviewed dozens of, of civilians and soldiers about that, about Zelensky's historic speech before Congress, and every single one of them said that they were so relieved that he showed up wearing his his fatigues yeah. uh, rather than a suit, because, you know, that symbolizes the fact that, you know, life has been disrupted here. Right. People don't wear suits. It's war, a full scale war for this country survival. And so to, I think to the Ukrainian people, which is the audience, I think he intended with his, mm. his clothing was that, you know, I'm still your wartime president. I'm not going to forget the fact that you while I'm here in Washington, you are still suffering under missile attacks. You're still out there in the trenches fighting for our country's freedom and survival. So I think that it, it was actually it, it really hit the right note with the Ukrainian people. And I think with the overwhelming majority of Americans, too. Uh, his visit, President Zelensky's visit to Washington was an enormous um, morale boost for the Ukrainian people. And so I think that, you know, in this war, Zelensky uh, has basically two major objectives, with, you know, apart from victory. But one is to continue the supply of Western military aid, which is essential to Ukraine's war effort. But it's also to maintain national morale. I mean, this is a tough war. And I think that, you know, for those of us who served in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, this war, it's it's, it's very different than what we experienced because, you know, we would go to war and then come back to a country that was basically moving on like life was normal, you know. But in this war, it touches every part of society. Everybody, the soul, every soldier on the front line has a family back somewhere hiding in bomb shelters under Russian missile and drone attacks. Every corner, every inch of life in Ukraine has been affected by this war. And so for that reason, Zelensky's heroic leadership has been essential uh, to Ukraine's ability to to sustain the fight and to turn the war uh, in its favor. I began, I know for a fact that in the first you know, opening month of the war, all the soldiers with whom I spoke here in Kiev who put up that heroic defense of the city, without a doubt, every single one of them said that if Zelensky had left Kiev after the initial invasion, Kiev would have fallen. Mm. This his decision to stay here galvanized his troops, you know, inspired them to dig in their heels, hold their ground, and save the capital city, which effectively saved Ukraine's 
existence as a sovereign nation. <laughs> so yeah, his, and I think, you know, from my perspective as an American, when you see all the cynicism in politics these days, all these blowhards who go on social media and act like they're heroic because they're going to tweet some snarky insult on social media, I think it blows their mind when they see somebody with physical, like physical courage, yeah. a leader who had enough uh, commitment to his values to actually risk his life and, and to protect those values, to protect his country, not for gain, not for not for money, not for you know personal advancement, not for glory, to save his country. He, President Zelensky, was willing to risk his life, and I think that just it's like a a blinking 404 not found in a lot of our politics <laughs> yeah. because yeah. you know they look at that they just don't get it they have to they they in their mind they cannot possibly conceive the notion that a president or a lawmaker would actually act according to principle and not for some cynical gain like adding more twitter followers or this or that it just doesn't make sense to them and so they don't believe it so they make up these other stories about him trying to make money pay for his wife's shopping trips whatever it's all bullshit yeah. but they it just it just reflects the fact that i think you know in a lot of ways our political establishment has become so cynical that we just don't understand this heroism when it's right there uh in our face and i think that i i hope that his leadership and i, I know that you know History will be the judge and what Zelensky has done will certainly outlast the petty, the pettiness of the moment. But I hope it does inspire us because God forbid one day our country is facing a fight as existential as the one Ukraine is facing now. I hope we have a leader uh, like Zelensky who is willing to put principle uh, before personal advancement and do what's right for the country like Zelensky has for Ukraine. Here, here. Is Florida your home state? It is Sarasota. Well, Florida. You know, there's, there's there's some leadership voids down there, and uh, you know, I, I wish you would run for office so you would serve in government. We'd be lucky to have your perspective and your vision, and and your words. I mean, you you have such a powerful way of articulating not just what's happening, but the the moral imperative of what we're 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 seeing. Um, you know, my I asked you last week over Twitter for some recommendations of ways people could help. You know, you recommended for me uh, Ukrainian aid ops that I tweeted about for my birthday. I said, you know, save the flowers and the tweets and and donate to some Ukrainian charities. You also gave me another great one, which was signmyrocket.com. Um, and you were going to before we got started, you showed a photo of of a rocket um, that, that you put together. So the way this works is yeah. you can actually have a, an artillery shell signed with anything you want and sent to Russia with love. And it's signmyrocket.com. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but do you want to share that one with us, Nolan? Yeah. So it's, uh, I'm sure everybody's familiar with the, the famous, uh, retort by the Ukrainian defenders of snake Island when the Russian warship, asked them to surrender, they said, Russian warship, go fuck yourself. And so uh, to help my family, as a Christmas present to my family for the holiday, I had a, uh, I don't know if it's reversed here or not. No, we got it. If you're watching on video, if, if you're not watching on video, it's a good time to go over to YouTube and subscribe and watch these interviews on on, uh, on YouTube. But it says, can you sh hold up one more time, Noah? It says, it says uh, go fuck yourselves from the petersons and that's going to you know the russian front with love from from nolan um dude you, you let me ask you one last question and then again he, he, thankfully you're going to stay over for patreon members um you got to stay there like these stories of like vietnam vets and i think like even after world war ii folks who married someone and and stayed in france right i mean it's for me i've said this before i feel like ukraine is more american than america right now um, and I live in New York for a lot of reasons, but because I feel like much of it represents the best of what this country can be. And I've lived in other places. But for you in your heart, is it going to be hard to go back to America? It was hard for me to come back to America after being in Iraq. But for you and, and your family, I mean, maybe you don't know yet, but what are you thinking? Are you going to stay there? Well, I think my my wife and I will, will make America our home eventually. I think that I've been here for almost a decade now covering the war and I, I think it's important to come home and to not, you know, to transmit these stories to Americans, but also I hope to um, help prepare our country 
for this new era of threats that we face. You know, the, our generation of wars, 9-11 wars are over and we're in a very dangerous world right now. And if my experiences here in Ukraine over the last decade can do anything, uh, whether it be help prepare civilians, help leverage the attributes of our veteran community uh, to contribute in a time of crisis or to impart lessons I've learned from the battlefield to help our military prepare for the next war, it would be an honor uh, to be of service to my country based on what I've learned over here. But it's going to be so hard. I, I, I'll never fully leave. At most, I'll probably divide my time between the United States and Ukraine because you know, half my family lives here now. And I think, you know, something that many veterans can appreciate is when you leave military service, particularly if you've deployed, uh, when you enter civilian life, it's very common to feel kind of alone. And I think in this age of social media, too, it exacerbates the sense of loneliness. And when you leave the military, you, you, you lose this sense of tribe, the sense of purpose, the sense of identity that is, is really unique, I think, to modern society. And so when I first came to Ukraine in 2014, as a combat veteran, I came here and, and I felt like every person I met was me. Sometimes I remember going to grad school after I left the military in America. I just felt so out of place. Like I just was speaking a different language uh, with the, with my my fellow students and with other civilians. Um, and sometimes it felt like civilian life like was living like in a foreign country. But coming here to Ukraine, I felt at home because everybody here believes so strongly in freedom and democracy and everything our country stands for. And they're willing to fight for it. They're willing to die for it. And I just, I felt this instant commonality, this uh, this instant connection with the Ukrainian people. And it really inspired me. And it, you know, it it kind of re-energized re or it sort of uh, replaced that sense of mm. purpose and community that I thought I had lost when I, lo when I left the military. Well, you're truly a heroic voice. Um, you're the best kind of independent American. Um, you have that that great spirit of of revolution and rebellion and and the future and all the things that we look for in our country and we root for in others. And and I'm going to put this down as a marker. Maybe one day Westmore will be president. I've said this before. It could happen. <laughs> You'd make a hell of an ambassador to Ukraine. One day you you would, would be a brilliant that. American ambassador to Ukraine. If this thing comes full circle like it could, and maybe one day, you know, my family and yours can have dinner in Kiev and we'll celebrate uh, the great really? victory. But but there's a great day in the future where, where this could come full circle and you could be um, continuing to serve both sides of this. Um, I'm really grateful for your friendship, for your leadership, for your voice, for your work. Um, and, and to everyone that you touch and everyone that you, you give voice to, my friend, you've been really such an important leader during this time. Um, and, and I hope you'll come back again a lot this year. We can continue these conversations. And, and until then, I hope you stay safe. Uh, and Slava Ukraini. Groyam Slava. And thank you for having me on. It means how a do you lot. Say, how do you say stay vigilant in, in Ukrainian? Do you have any idea? You say Bucha be careful. Bucha That's my, my mutilated version. Excellent. Okay. Bucha Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, people. There you have it. More ground truth on the most important issue in the world from another leader who's on the front lines. Nolan Peterson is a helper. The helpers are out there, and Nolan damn sure is one of them. My mother used to say a long time ago, whenever there would be any really catastrophe that was on the, in the movies or, or on the air, she would say, always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Be sure to check out Nolan on Twitter. Check him out on Coffee or Die. I'll link to it in the show notes. And 
Continue to check the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter all year long and share yours. You've been posting lots of good ones and I will continue to share them. I will continue to post them. I will continue to try to spread the positivity however I can as we go into this new year. And if you're on social, you can play guest the guest on Wednesday nights. I'm going to continue to try to do that. And you can check out video of this episode and all of them on YouTube and at independentamericans.us. Go check it out. If you haven't been to our website before, go check it out. Be sure to subscribe wherever you got this podcast, whether it was on Apple or Spotify, whatever, and share it with a couple friends. Let them know we're going to continue to bring light to contrast to heat throughout 2023. And if you're not yet a member, check out our Patreon community. You can join for just a couple bucks. You can help me continue to bring this kind of content to folks all around the world. Big shout out to our Patreon members. Thank you to all of you who powered us throughout 2022. Please join us and help us continue to bring this kind of content for 2023. I'm going to keep the focus on Ukraine. I'm going to keep the focus on veterans issues and national security and military affairs. And of course, independent politics. We've talked a lot about it. I believe the independent movement is the future for America. And we're going to continue to dig into it. And this week in New York... I joined folks for a special event focused on the future of independence. There was a launch of a new organization called Final Five NYC, launched by a guy named Sal Albanese, who is a former city council member here in New York, and it's a really important cause. Right now, in New York City, one million independents are blocked from voting in our primaries. That includes me. And we're fighting to change that. Final Five New York City has launched. They're working on a ballot initiative get the one million independents in New York City empowered to vote in the primaries. It also set up Final Five voting, which is much more fair, much more competitive, much more interesting, will drive voter turnout, and get us toward a more reasonable kind of politics. It was a great lineup. Our friend John Opdyke was there from Open Primaries, Veterans for Political Innovation, a great nonprofit I've mentioned on this show, and Andrew Yang. Where is Andrew Yang? Andrew Yang was in New York City with me at the launch of Final Five NYC. So thanks to our listeners who came out. Please check our social media for future events. I'll be doing other events and supporting organizations throughout the country that support and empower the independent movement. Our politics are more divided than ever, but we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are going to continue to fight to change that, to add light, to contrast, to heat. So if you're among the 50% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. And if you're a Democrat or a Republican, but not a diehard partisan, this is still going to be your show. And if you're a concerned American who cares about the future of your country, this is your show. All are welcome, and I invite you to be a part of the solution. Also want to invite you every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Check me out in a new weekly segment on News Nation TV with Marnie Hughes. Every Thursday at about 11 o'clock Eastern, I'm going to do a special segment focused on national security, vets, and political news, and it's on News Nation. You can find News Nation on your cable network, or you can go to newsnation.com. They've also got an app. It's a startup that I've talked about a bit before, but I'm going to be a regular over there every Thursday at 11 Eastern. And if you still haven't had enough of me and these messages, every Friday night now at 8.45 p.m., also on News Nation, I will be joining Chris Cuomo. Every Friday night, we're going to continue the segment we started last year called I'll Drink to That. Every Friday, 8.45, I'm going to join Cuomo. I'm going to get him to loosen his tie. We're going to celebrate the end of a week. And I'm going to toast to a couple of good stories that I think are worthy of recognition. We're also going to talk about a gripe or two that's got me angry, has other people angry, and probably should have everyone angry, and we'll take your calls. So tune in, have a drink, call in, let's hang. We'll do it every Friday, every Thursday, and you can listen for new episodes of Independent Americans every Thursday morning throughout 2023. Please keep the feedback coming. Please keep spreading the word. And please stay vigilant, my friends, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. you're not alone in your vigilance we are all vigilant and we're all in this together especially now all across america and all across ukraine i'm your host paul reikoff thank you for listening 
down with Putin, Slava Ukraini, and stay vigilant, America. Media.